You're listening to highlights of One Planet Podcast's interview with Dr. Joelle Gerges, a lead author of the IPCC report and author of Humanity's Moment, a climate scientist's case for hope. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. So I think when people talk about climate change, a lot of people can feel like it's quite hopeless and that it's all too overwhelming and too big and Sometimes we lose faith in humanity and our ability to really rise to the challenge that we're facing. So I think for me, a lot of people ask, in my line of work as a climate scientist, how do you not just fall into a state of despair and really just see the really dark aspects of human behavior and our inability to correct our course and do the right thing? And the truth is, is that we all have to reconcile it in some way. And you can either be really consumed by those darker emotions and that feeling that people don't care and that those sorts of ideas, or you can just try and see beauty where it is and connect with other people who are also doing their very best. So I think this kind of binary thinking of black and white, people are good or bad, isn't quite right. There's, there's shades of gray and, and sometimes people do the best that they can from day to day. And it is important to understand the nuts and bolts of statistics and things like that, but a lot of people don't have an emotional response to that. So that's why I talk about the heart. So that is the emotional processing of what it is like to be living through this era of really rapid change and transition and witnessing places that we love disappear before our eyes and realizing that we really are the generation of people that are witnessing the world changing in such a rapid way. And so I think when you stop and contemplate how profound this moment is, it's really, you can't not have an emotional response to it. And then the third part of the book is called The Whole, which is understanding that really as individuals, we can, you know, go a long way to do things. Look, there are some times where it does overwhelm me and I don't think I overcame it particularly well. There would be times where I would really be plunged into to quite a deep depression. And I suppose the way out of that was really sheltering in the goodness of others and you know, connecting with other people who remind me that there's still beauty in this world. And so it's an active decision to seek those things out, seek those people out and those groups that make you feel connected. And also just realizing that sometimes you need to go into a deep place of contemplation and a place of solitude where you sort of put your own pieces back together. And for me, that often involves connecting with nature. So whether it's the ocean near where I live or the rainforest, being around other living creatures and other landscapes, and that makes me feel like I'm a part of something that does feel timeless and eternal. And I think that human beings, we have that in our bones. No matter where we are, whatever culture you're from, wherever you live on the planet, we all share that really deep primal connection to the planets. So I guess it's a case of letting it flow through you, really, but realizing that it, it will pass. It's not going to completely break you. I mean, that's been my experience. I try and write about my experience with that. You know why? Because I think a lot of people feel these things and I hope that my writing gives other people permission to express their own emotions and to realize that there's another conversation that we could be having in public about how we feel about climate change and our changing world. And I really hope that it just provides people with some language around how we express those things. We're witnessing these changes in our lifetime. And to think as well that you have like 40 degree temperatures in the United Kingdom, I mean, that that's crazy stuff. But it just goes to show that we're really starting to witness serious climate extremes that can no longer be ignored. And the IPCC, one of our key conclusions to that report was that effectively the human fingerprint on the climate system is now undeniable. It is now an established fact that we have warmed every single continent 
every ocean basin on the planet. And again, it's a pretty serious thing to contemplate that human activity from the burning of fossil fuels and the clearing of land has led to this imbalance, this energy imbalance in the Earth's system, which is leading to a rapidly shifting climate. We're in this moment where we're transitioning from an old technology into a new technology. And if you stop and think about history, where we went from the horse and cart, where people used to you know, have a horse and cart and, now, and then they went into automobiles, it's the same sort of thing. We're just advancing our technology. So it's inevitable that it's going to happen. It is happening right now. In the book, I highlight a few examples globally and also here in Australia, just to say that this is doable. We can do this. And I think we need to get better at telling these stories that are more hopeful and are really lighting the way for people to realize that this is not just some utopian idea that a bunch of environmentalists have come up with. There's really hard science on it that all the way up to the UN level that shows this is all feasible, possible, and entirely deployable now if we want to do that. So that is our collective challenge. And that's the thing, right? I really do think that when humans want to step into their higher selves and work for the common good, we can absolutely do that. And, you know, our history is full of that as well. So it's just a case of remembering that and being a part of that wherever you can be a part of that, because you can choose to be a part of this social movement that is sweeping the world right now in terms of our push to live sustainably on this planet. It's happening all over the world. And so, you know, what we do on an individual level in terms of how we show up in this moment really makes a difference. And I think that in many ways, I think we've hit peak consumerism. And I think it's leaving a psychological void within us because we're trying to fill the void with a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of objects and materials and things that aren't really that real or useful. And it's not providing us with psychological or spiritual growth in many ways. So I think a lot of people are starting to realize that because there's also like a lot of marketing and social media and all these things that we're being bombarded with. And there's a lot for young people particularly to navigate in this space about what is a meaningful life? What do we need to find meaning in life? And I think we have to reflect on that as a species. And I guess that's part of the invitation of this book is to stop and to think about what it is to be human at this moment in time. So as a physical climate scientist, I'm basically giving people the nuts and the bolts of, it's like a planetary stock take. Consumers and voters either remove or provide the social license for these types of behaviors to continue. So if we want to continue to trash the planet, we need to let corporations know that we don't want to put our money behind that anymore. So you can choose to do that in many, many different ways. But I guess removing the social license for the continued destruction of our planet has to shift. I mean, and this is where these social movements become really inspiring to think about it because it always just takes a small group of really committed people to shift a social norm. And I quote some research in, in the book, which basically says you only need about 25% of a population to shift a social norm. And then the rest of the population goes with those progressive elements. But we need to mobilize people in a huge way to vote for our politicians at every level from the local to the federal level, who are going to reflect our values around shifting to a sustainable future and choosing to leave a legacy, which is more one of care and repair rather than just complete destruction. I'm not going to pretend this is going to be easy. It's going to be the fiercest battle that humanity's ever faced. And this is why we need every single person who can wake up and exert power to do so at this moment. And that's why in, in the book, I basically said, we need you. 
We need people to wake up and to take their money away from fossil fuel companies and to take their money away from, for example, superannuation companies that invest in fossil fuel projects and things like that. There are many, many things you can do personally to remove that social license to say, that's not okay anymore. I'm not going to put my money or my political support around those things. I guess from my perspective as a scientist, I want to provide people with the best possible scientific underpinning for their decision-making and also to help them realize that really what we do in the next 10 years is make or break for humanity. Because in another 10 years, we would have locked in so much global warming that there are some irreversible elements of climate change that play out that are difficult, if not impossible to adapt to. So that's why we talk about this as being the critical decade, because we really need to turn it around in this next decade. That inherent connection to nature is universal. It doesn't matter what culture you're from. It doesn't matter if you're religious or spiritual or whatever. It doesn't matter. It is an inherent part of being human. And ultimately, it all boils down to protecting the people and the places we love. It's as simple as that. It really is. It doesn't need to be more complicated than that for the average person. And that's basically what we're here to do, is to get people to wake up and realize that they're living through the most profound moment in human history and to choose to be a force for good and a force for change and behaving in a way that you can feel proud of in years to come if you have children or grandchildren. People will say to you, where were you in the 2020s? And you can say, I did this. I did everything that I could. Sometimes we look back at the 1960s as this really revolutionary time, and we are actually living through the most revolutionary time ever, right? And so if you stop and think about that, that becomes a real motivating factor. And that's something that I hope that young people who might be listening take heart in. Thinking about this is that they are living through the biggest moment in human history and they can choose to be a part of that social movement to protect our world. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.